Good to see everybody. Good morning. So how, how would you fill in this, this blank, Jesus is, this morning? You know, who is he for you today? And uh, if you're a guest here, I want to welcome you. You're uh, our, our special guest, and we're really glad you're here and hope that today can be something good for you and your faith. And, uh, you know, I hope you can leave changed and inspired about how much God cares about you. But just so we say it, uh, here at Lighthouse, we're really glad you're here. And I want to say hi to everybody online, too. Uh, our, our service is being streamed online for people that are sick and at home or traveling. And uh, we've even got a little group up in Santa Rosa that watches our service with us every Sunday. So hi to you guys. Jesus is. And uh, so we're doing this whole series because uh, we as a church recognize we need to understand Jesus more. Uh, I mean, I've been studying, learning about Jesus for the last 30 years, and I can tell you, I need to know more. I want to know more about Jesus. And, uh, you know, the whole reason is because if you think about people and their perception of God, church, Jesus, a lot of times it's not very good, is it? You know, and you think about the next generation that's coming up and why they don't want to go to church. You know, for them, it's about a building. It's about people that look at them and say, well, who are you? And do you deserve to be here? And should you be here? And I'm not sure if you qualify and show me your credentials, et cetera, et cetera, right? And like, no, I don't want that. And you know, sometimes our experiences dictate how we think about Jesus. There's something wrong with that. What if your experience is wrong? What if you had a bad experience? And this is why it's so important that we go right to the source to look at what Jesus said, how Jesus acted, how Jesus treated people. Then maybe you can fill in the blank correctly the way God wants you to fill in the blank that Jesus is. And, and last week we looked at a, a, a very controversial, I mean, it was very controversial in, in, in the first century's eyes, Luke 15, and we talked about Jesus is, anybody remember? Scandalous grace. And the whole thing we talked about last week is what Jesus was explaining, he showed us three portraits. And basically what he showed us is that he was explaining why Jesus hung around with bad people. What? Why, Jesus, why are you hanging around with these bad people, these thugs, these dogs, these people who don't deserve to be in your presence and in God's presence? These are bad people. Why are you hanging around with them? Here's the crazy thing. Jesus liked to be with these people, and the people liked to be with Jesus. And so if you don't like, and you maybe fit into this category, if you see yourself as a bad person, and you kind of don't feel like Jesus is somebody you have access to, you might not have the right perception of who Jesus is. And that's why we're doing this series. So I want to encourage you today to, to basically throw away all those experiences that you've had and try to start fresh. We're hitting the reset button. Even as a church, guys, I want to tell you, members of the church, we need the reset button. Because today you're going to see some things that maybe are going to trigger why you're having so much drama and weirdness going on in your life about your faith, about one another, you know, how we feel about one another. And maybe you know somebody in the church that's going through some of that stuff, and maybe you can point them in, in, in this direction. So today we're going to be looking at 
and, and just so you know, this is who we are as a church. It's our vision to love God, live change, and light the way. But we're doing this whole series because we want to live change. That's the focus. I hope you're not done changing yet. If you're a member of our church, if you're a brother or sister, I'm not done yet. And I recognize the more I go through this stuff, man, I got a lot to change, a whole lot to change to become more like Jesus. And I believe our world really needs to. So before we light the way, we got to continue to live change, right? So today, you know, we talked about last week, but today we're going to look at uh, living color. Last week we talked about the prodigal son, right? You remember that? And how Jesus turned everything, perceptions on its head. I mean, you're kidding. You're, you're, you're saying that this son who did all that bad stuff is being accepted back into the family? That's crazy. That's, that's, that's completely out there. Okay, so that was a story. That was a story that Jesus shared, a parable, a parallel. Guess what? Today we're going to look at the real deal, an actual event that took place where Jesus demonstrated the prodigal son in living color. And if you want to see some stirring of heads, it was even a notch up from what we talked about last week. So you ready? We're going to make a trip to, to Jericho. Okay, Jericho is in Palestine. And, uh, you know, I just want to start out by saying before we go to Jericho, I just want to share a personal story. Okay, you ready? My wife's like, oh boy, here we go. <laughs> okay, you ever, you, ever had, uh, you ever had house guests come over for dinner? Maybe some neighbors, friends? And I don't know if it's your experience, but in our house, we go to tremendous lengths to clean, to prepare, to clean, to prepare. We take stuff that's lying around and we stuff it in closets, okay? We put it away, and, and you know what we do? We, we, we light candles, okay? We light smelly candles in our house so that it smells good. Right? And we get the Febreze and we go, pss, 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 you know, we spray it all over. And it can get a little intense at our house when we're having house guests. Because we're really trying to make a good impression. Okay? And I don't know if you can relate, but that's how it is in our house. And let me tell you, when guests come over, man, the food is awesome. I've even asked this question. We need to have people over more so we can eat this awesome food, right? I'm going to have to hear about this afterwards, okay? But I'm making a point. I'm making a point, okay? I'm making a point in that. And I go through that too. I mean, we, 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 we dress up. We get ready. And here's the deal. The reason why we do this, and, and you do it too, whether you know it or not, we want to be accepted, we want people's approval, don't we? See, in our society, there's an underlying rule. If you want to be accepted, you got to behave and you got to do certain things in order to be accepted. You got to you got to adhere to the code of behavior in order to be accepted. And if you don't adhere to the code, and to the rules of behavior and of good behavior, guess what? You might not be accepted. 
You know, question is, what, what lengths are, are you willing to go to to be accepted? I mean, we do a lot of stuff every day. Every, just about everything we do kind of, it, it somehow is connected with acceptance. And this is the weird thing. When you have family over, people that know you, they know, they know what you were like. They know, they know all about you. Yet we still, still put stuff in closets and we try to clean and we try to, you know, straighten things up. They already know us. But yet we still want more acceptance, don't we? And the truth of the matter is we, we take this and we roll it over into God. And we try to do the same thing with God. Do you know that? We, we, we take some of our stuff and we try to hide it. We come to church and we go, no, I'm good. I'm good today. I'm good right now. You know, I'm, I'm good. I'm cleaned up. I put my, my cologne on. I got my hair fixed. I'm, I'm good. I, I strained up. See, I want you to know something. There's people that didn't come to church today, did not come to church today because they don't have their life together yet. See, in order to be right with God, and this is how we translate it, in order to be right with God, you got to get your ducks in a row. And if your ducks are all a mess, you can't come to God. You can't make it. People don't come to church for that very reason. Or they stop coming to church for that. Or they feel that from other people. It, it, it speaks to the root of our desire for acceptance. And when we don't have it or we fear we might not have it, we push back. Jesus is here today to tell you something really, really important do you ever wonder why God doesn't go through this? I mean, think about it. Have you ever written a text, for example, to someone, and then you push send and you go, did I say that right? Was it spelled right? Maybe I shouldn't have said it that way, and you wish you could take it back, but you can't. Or you posted a picture on Instagram, and, and you go, ah, I don't know if I should have posted that picture. Was it too much? It's out there in public now. I don't Do you think God goes through that? Do you think God is concerned with what he says and what he does? And the answer is absolutely not. See, God stands on his own. He's not worried about what people think. God, he's not into this trying to get accepted. And here's the reality God doesn't need us. He doesn't need you. Now, he wants you, but he doesn't need you, and he doesn't need your approval. See, God stands all to himself. And there's, there's something really special about that because God is secure in who he is. Now, let me ask you, are you? And don't be quick to answer because you could say yes, but what about tomorrow? What about next week when something happens? And Jesus is going to speak directly to this for us today. 
and a story that we're well familiar with in some ways, but I don't under, think we really understand the depth. So let's go right into this. Jericho, Luke chapter 19, verse 1, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. Let me tell you a little bit about Jericho. Jericho is, is basically in between the, the Sea of Galilee. It was the travel route to, from the Sea of Galilee, from Galilee to Jerusalem. And it goes all the way back to the time of Joshua. It was a perfectly situated place where there was water, agriculture. And at the time of Jesus, Caesar Augustus, the emperor of Rome, gave Jericho to Herod the Great. And they've done excavations. This isn't a story that I'm going to tell you once upon a time. They've done archaeological studies that Herod existed, this city existed, and this is what it was like during the time of Jesus. See, that's why it's so important that we understand the Bible is not like some fairy tale. The Bible is history. And it's so cool. They found Herod the Great's palace. And you know what his palace had? See, now this was just his summer house. This wasn't his, his primary residence. This was his vacation home. His vacation home had these huge pools of water. It was luxurious. And so Jericho at the time of Jesus was, it would be like Puerto Vallarta. <laughs> or Cancun, Playa del Carmen. Okay, it was a really cool spot. Okay, wherever that tropical paradise is for you, this was Jericho. All the rich and famous would travel to Jericho to vacation there. It was, it was, it was you know, warm climate, lots of water, lots of agriculture. And so what we're going to see is, as Jesus was going by, he came in contact, verse 2 and 3, a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was because he was short and could not see over the crowd. Let me tell you a little bit about this guy, Zacchaeus. Because Jericho was a very wealthy vacation spot, travel route, if you're a tax collector in Jericho or in that vicinity, guess what? You're going to have a lot of money because it was a trade route. And so before you come through, you got, and this wasn't just a tax collector, this guy was the chief tax collector. And so he didn't collect taxes. He had an entourage of guys out there collecting taxes and they paid him. So he'd been doing this a long time. You don't become the chief tax collector, you know, in a day. You have to do this for many years. You have to work your way up. And guess what you do? You have to be approved by Herod the Great and also the Roman Empire to be a chief tax collector. So in other words, you've got to do your job really well. And how do you determine whether you do your job really well? Lots of taxes. And if you're a person who has to pay taxes, how do you feel about the tax collector? Let's just have a poll, a survey here right today. How do you guys feel about the IRS? Don't you love the IRS? Now that was, that's then... How about now? You know, that's now, but how about then? See, the, the IRS has to collect only a certain amount. These days, they didn't have, they collected whatever they decided to collect. 
if you wanted to go from Galilee to Jerusalem and you had a lot of stuff, the guy could just arbitrarily say, um, I don't like you. I'm mad. My wife fought with me this morning, so I'm going to charge you extra just because I decided. And you can't go through. And he had, a, he had a group of soldiers standing right next to him, and you wouldn't go through. So how would you feel if you were a Jew and a Jewish man is charging you excessive taxes? And you know it, and he's living high on life. And here's another thing. He says he was wealthy. What kind of house do you think Zacchaeus had in Jericho? I bet it was really nice. I bet he had it on the hill. I bet he had his pool, an infinity pool, where he could see out over and chill, and he had people that would, you know, hang out with him. What kind of people would hang out with him? Women. Women who you could pay. And a whole set of people. And, and just so you know, he was a short man, but he was large because of his money. His money made him seven feet tall. He was very powerful. In fact, some scholars say that he must have been, if it was in this city and he was a chief tax collector, he must have been one of the top 10 wealthiest people in the region. This is no ordinary guy. And so, you know, being connected with TMZ and all the stuff that's going on, he said, Jesus is coming to town? And he knew, he knew what was what. And he found out from him, some of his other guys, that Jesus is coming through the gate. And so he heard, and he says, I want to see this guy, Jesus, because I've heard about him. And Jesus is powerful in word and deed. He, he did miracles that people had never heard of. And he said things that, you know, and he maybe have heard that Jesus was giving attention, and maybe he heard that one of his followers was a tax collector. And so, boy, he's like, wow. You mean he's got one of his guys? That's one of me. There's some, I got to see this guy. So he runs ahead, and it says here, so he ran ahead and climbed the sycamore fig tree to see him. He just wanted a glimpse. So what's this guy look like? Wouldn't you want to know what Jesus looks like? I would want to know what Jesus looks like. Just a glimpse. Is he tall? Is he weddle? <laughs> Meaning, he, is he white? That's weddle is white. Is he brown? What does he look like? How's his hair? Is his, are his eyes? Is he have blue eyes, brown eyes? What, what's he look like? Okay, so there's a lot of intrigue. And let me tell you, let me show you what a, what a sycamore fig tree looks like. This is, this is in Jericho. This is a sycamore fig tree. And these are the figs that grow on the sycamore fig tree. So it's not a super tall tree. You could climb out on a limb, even if you're a short person. And, and, and just imagine, he, he climbs up on this limb over here, and he's, he's up, in the, up in the branches, and he's sitting there waiting for Jesus to come by just so he can see him. In, chap, in chapter 19, verse 5, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house. Now, let me just ask you the question. Jesus picked that spot to stop 
and look up. Do you think there was an agenda here? Absolutely. Jesus did everything with a plan. He picked that spot and he calls his name. Had they met before? How did he know his name? Let me just tell you a little something about Jesus. He knows everybody's name because he's God's son. He's the Messiah. I got news for you. He knows your name. He knows who you are. He knows what you're doing. And he knew exactly who Zacchaeus was and what he did for a living. And again, like we talked about last week, this was crazy that he says, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. What? I want you to understand, Zacchaeus was not allowed at church ever because of his business. He was barred. He was banned from coming in church. They had people out there on the steps that made sure if you have a a sketchy lifestyle and if you're a tax collector, forget it. He was a well-known tax chief tax collector. He was not allowed in the synagogue. He was not allowed at church. He had no access to God. He had no access to prayer at the temple, at the place of worship. He had no access to the scriptures as they were taught at Jesus' time. And Jesus, the Son of God, is going to his house? What, what, what's Jesus up to here? What is going on? And, and I got to say this. We as Christians... We sometimes climb trees, and I want to speak to our members. We climb trees to get God's attention. It didn't matter whether Zacchaeus was in a tree or on the street, in the fifth row, the first row. It didn't matter. Jesus knew who he was. And too many of us are climbing trees. You know what I mean by climbing trees? We go through our list and we say, well, I've been coming to church regularly. So God must notice me. And we do things so that God will notice us. We try to climb up there and say, well, I'm doing this and I'm doing that. And do you know that this morning I prayed for 37 minutes? God's got to know me, right? Look at what I'm doing. Look at all these things. And what does Jesus tell Zacchaeus to do? Come down from that. And I just want to say this to you. If you're trying to climb trees to get God's attention, come down from that. You don't need to get God's attention. You have his attention. See, you don't need to go to church to get God's attention. He already has your attention. You have his attention. He cares about you. So come down from there, will you? Come down from your tree and be humble and accept. He already knows what's going on. He knows what's in your closet, okay? You can't climb trees to get his attention. So he came down at once and he welcomed him gladly. Now, shouldn't Zacchaeus be glad before the Son of God? 
Why was he glad? A little audience participation. Why was he glad? Why would you be glad? Because Jesus is accepting me. He's coming to my house. I'm accepted by Jesus. No, 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 wait. Before you get accepted by Jesus, where, where, Zacchaeus, where's the godly sorrow? You shouldn't be glad. You should be sad. You should be, you should be ashamed of yourself. You should cry with shame and pain over what you've done and how you've hurt people. Don't be glad, Zacchaeus. You need to feel bad about yourself before you come to God. It's amazing, isn't it? Can you stop and think about this for a second? He was fired up. He's excited because Jesus is coming to his house. He'd never been to church since he was a little boy. He wasn't allowed to. Maybe you're here today and you're feeling like, man, the only way you're going to have access to God is if you feel bad. You should be ashamed of yourself, you drug addict. You pervert. I don't know what your stuff is. You know. It really is that what God wants to communicate to us? No. But see, we get this stuff. We get this stuff in our head, and, and we think this is what we got to do. Hey, and I'm all for feeling, you know, remorseful about things that we've done and the way we've hurt people, but I just want you to understand what came first, acceptance, then change, or change, then acceptance. What do you see happening here? I, I see acceptance first. Don't you? Isn't it, isn't it pretty clear? I'm coming to your house. What, Zacchaeus, what have you done to get Jesus to come to your house? Have you prayed? I don't think he prayed in years. I don't know, but he's not the spiritual type. And now here's the interesting thing. All the people saw this. Not a few. All the people saw this. What's that say? If you and I were in the audience and we saw this go on, what would we do? They began to mutter. In case you didn't know, mutter means complain, grumble, gripe, have a problem with. He's going to be that guest of a sinner. Whoa, 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 Jesus, where are you going? Do you not understand that he took my mom's money when my dad died and she had nothing and he taxed her? Do you not understand what he's doing? How he's making his living in that lavish house that he has? Do you know where you're going? Do you know how that house was built brick by brick? Exploiting people, taking advantage of poor people, single moms. Really, Jesus? You're going to his house? Here's the root of it. Why don't you come into my house? Come to my house, Jesus. Why are you going to his house? I deserve it. I go to church. I've made some changes. I'm really working on some stuff here, Jesus. And I know I'm really, exactly what you're feeling right now with all this confusion. Like, wait a minute. 
That's what Jesus was doing to people's heads. They were utterly confused. See, because it's different than the way we operate here in society. See, acceptance comes after you modify your behavior. That's the way we work. The way Jesus is working here in this passage is acceptance and love comes first. No, no, no. I can't. How does that work? That's so wrong. That's so scandalous. Exactly. They had a problem with it. Guess what? You would too. I know I would. If I was standing in the audience, I'd be like, dang. I want to go. Why can't he come to my house? Why can't he come to our house, our church? Why doesn't Jesus come to our church? Jesus, will you come to our church? I mean, look at our church. Mm -mm. I'm going to his house. And this is Luke 19, verse 10. Zacchaeus stood up and said, said to the Lord, look. Now, this is powerful. Lord, here and now. Now, just to call him Lord said something. This is a very powerful guy. The only, the only people who he called Lord was Herod the Great and Caesar and maybe Pilate, the governor. He didn't call anybody else Lord. What's he doing by calling Jesus Lord here? He, he is defining that he has accepted Jesus as the Messiah. He's accepted Jesus. See, Jesus, I understand who you are now. I'm calling you Lord because I'm making you Lord in my life. I'm taking a knee to you here and now. This is powerful, guys. This is very powerful for this wealthy, powerful person to be saying this. Here and now, I give half of all my possessions to the poor. Now, let's talk about the money here. How much money are we talking about? Half of all he had. How much is that? Any speculation? We're talking millions. This guy was top 10 in the region. He's a millionaire. He's given half of that of the millions that he had to the poor. What? In an instant? And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Now, let me, let me just share with you some, some, some facts here about what he is saying here. Leviticus 5, 6. Leviticus 5, 6 says this. Anybody who has cheated, and this is the law of God, anybody who's cheated money out of somebody else has to pay 100% of what they've cheated them out. Plus... 20%. You can read it for yourself in Leviticus 5, 6. Now, let me ask you a question. What he is committing to Jesus and the Lord right here, guess how much it is? 120% required by law. Guess what he's offering up here? 400%. 400%. Why is he giving 400%? Was it about the law? I mean, this is, this is powerful. 
was Zacchaeus thinking about the law? The law says 120. Why are you giving 280% more, Zacchaeus? Why are you doing this? You don't have to. Was it the law or was it a person? It's a person. You know what motivated him to do this? A person. Now, can I speak to the church? If you're a guest, you're just listen and smile. This doesn't apply to you. We operate in percentages here in the church, don't we? What, what's, what's the offering that we typically give according to the law? 10%, right? And we feel good about giving 10%. See, because our attachment is to the law. It, it's to what the law says, okay? Leviticus, you know, whatever the verse is. You know why the New Testament doesn't talk about 10% a lot? Because when your commitment is attached to a person, not a number, not a law, you don't even associate with 10%. It's like, are you kidding? He, He loved me and accepted me? Of all people, of all the people who least deserve to be accepted by God, he accepted me. I'm giving him my whole life. Everything I have from here and now. Look at look at what he says. Here and now, I give half. I give it. In fact, just take it. His priorities are completely changed. And he's making a public statement. You don't do this unless your whole life has been changed. Why do we hedge our commitment? Why do we back off of our commitment? Why do we hide and say, well, I'm doing just enough? In fact, I come to church regularly. What does regularly mean anyway? And we pull back from our commitment to God because we think we're doing enough. Why is it that when we focus on the law, we do less, but when we focus on a person like Jesus and what he's done for us, all bets are off? All percentages are off. I had to do an honest evaluation, guys, where I started in my faith and where I am now. See, because when I started off in my faith, it was gloves, the gloves are off, Jesus. Let's go. Where do you want me to do and go and do? I will do anything for you. If I need to learn languages, if I need to do whatever, everything I have is yours. I packed up my car and put every one of my possessions, and I drove from Tampa, Florida to Boston, Massachusetts, lived in a house, lived on a sofa for two months out of a suitcase. Thanks. Why? Why would I do that? And then three years later, got trained and moved to the other side of the planet and learned a language that I didn't speak. In dangerous cities, why would you do that? Was it about the law? I didn't have to do that. I could have stayed in Tampa, Florida. You know that I didn't have a car for two years? No car. Public transportation. I had a car when I was a teenager. Do you know what it's like to be first world and then go third world and live like that? Do you know what that's like? 
Why would I do that? Why would I live in these places? Why would I do these things? Was it about the law? Uh-uh. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. Jesus, whatever you want, here and now, you can have it all. But I got a confession to make, church. I think I've been hedging. I think we've been hedging. See, because whenever you get sideways with people and we start to hedge, you know what I'm talking about? We hedge, we pull back. He says, look, look, I'll give four times whatever. I'll give it all, Jesus. Because I'm right with you. Nothing else matters. We read on. What's Jesus say here? Jesus said, Jesus said to him, today, today's an awesome day. Today is the day. Today is an awesome day. You go back to last week. Today is an awesome day because I found my lost son. I found my son. Look, today salvation has come to this house Because this man, whether you know it or not, whether you accept him or not, whatever your stereotype is of this man, this man is also a son of God. And I don't know where you stand with God today in your conscience, but let me tell you something. You, my friend, are a son of God and a daughter of God. But why? Because of the acceptance. The acceptance. This is so powerful, what Jesus is saying. The celebration, I mean, it was on. And they probably had a huge party there, DJs and everybody. Come on, guys, come on over. I'm in. Okay? And then Jesus defines his purpose for walking the earth. He defines it, why he came. Just so you know, not to start Christianity and institutionalized religion where we all come together and we be good people and we condescend and we judge and we criticize and we put each other down and we have bumps with each other because you don't measure up and you're not, you're not doing what I want. Mm. Boy, we get that, we do that. Jesus came for this reason. The Son of Man came to seek. I'm coming to your house. You don't come to my house. I'm coming to your house. I'm going to your house with one purpose. Save you. Save me from what? You could think Zacchaeus like, save me from what? From my wealth? From my palace? From my bank account? Save you from yourself, Zacchaeus, and save you from the consequences of your sin, and you know it's destroying you. And to save you from investing your whole life in a futile purpose that will end the day that you die. I'm saving you from that. This is awesome. This is so awesome. Let me just ask you a question. Who's Zacchaeus? He's me. Just so you know, he's me. He's you. Far from God, feeling accused. If if you're wondering about it, just go back in your history and your journaled 
Okay, read the pages of who you were not too long ago. Remember? Remember the stuff that you did? Doesn't take me that long. I'm Zacchaeus. And Jesus said to me, when I least deserved it, I love you and I accept you on the front end. Let me show you another passage that describes, that describes this perfectly. I mean perfectly. And we're going to celebrate the communion with this passage. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates, he shows us, he makes it absolutely clear. He demonstrates his own love for who? For us in this. Here it is, here it is. While we were still sinners, while you were in your sin, remember that shameful thing that you were doing that nobody knows about? You know what I'm talking about? That you've tried to hide. You've tried to just, no, I didn't do it. No, I didn't do it. Yes, you did it. At that moment, at that moment, Jesus died for you. <sighs> wow. When we least deserved it. Now, here's the crazy thing. You know, you and I, we like to use words like awesome when we describe God. We like to use words like incredible, amazing when we describe God. Maybe we should start a new vocabulary when we describe God. You ready for this one? How about crazy? How about loco? Here, here's the deal, guys. God sent his son to die for us not knowing if we would respond. Worse yet, knowing that people would turn their back on this. I'm going to give you the most precious part of me that I offer, and you're going to reject it, and I know you're going to reject it. I know you're going to refuse me. I know you're going to turn your back, and you will just say, I don't care. Who cares, Jesus? doesn't affect me. Knowing that, he still did it. Knowing that a small percentage of the world's population, knowing that Jesus died for them on the cross, only a few are going to accept. <laughs> I can't see that as amazing. Can you? You know what I see that is? I see it as reckless, irresponsible, That's what God did for you and for me. Now, let me ask you this. What came first? Change? Then acceptance? Or acceptance, then change? Isn't it pretty clear? While you were still sinners, while you were still in your sin, Jesus died for you. So what's that tell you about God's love for you. While you are 
out there, he still loves you and he still accepts you. You know why Zacchaeus turned over his life to Jesus? Because he was accepted. See, that, let me tell you this, guys. This is what's missing in our faith. This is what's missing in our world today. People don't know Jesus. They've taken Jesus and they've, 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 they've manipulated it. And see, for some of us, you can't even get this. It's like, wait, how can you get forgiveness and acceptance first? Don't you have to, like, I, I don't see that. I can't argue with this. I know what I want to do. I know what I want to do with my relationships. When a, certain, when a person hurts me so many times, I cut them off. Mm-mm, no more acceptance from you. What does Jesus do with that? See, this is scandalous. We read on. Now, for us that are followers of Jesus, you know this. It's comforting. It's awesome, right? It's awesome. It's a reason to celebrate the communion. See, when I take the, the bread and the, and, the, and the fruit of the vine, I go, this is what Jesus did for me before I repented, before I turned my life over to him. Man, he loves me a lot. Now, when you know that, look at what he says. John 15, verse 12, my command is this. Now, he asks us, okay, there is a command that comes behind all that love and acceptance and grace. Love each other as I have loved you. This is the most, this is the most challenging thing there is. I mean, listen, coming to church seven days a week, okay, Every day coming to church, reading your Bible every day, praying every day, giving an offering every day. I mean, you put it out there. This is harder. This is harder. Love people like Jesus means I got to love them on the, front, on the front end before they've changed. I've got to accept them before they change. I've got to go to their house and try to help them when there may be a risk. There may be a risk of rejection. They may not accept. And see, some of us are bent out of shape because we've shared our faith. We've studied the Bible with a lot of people. We've put ourselves out there for people, and they rejected us. It went bad. We've led in in, in different positions in the church, and it went bad. People rejected us. People didn't reciprocate our love. Right? What do we do in response? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm backing off then because it hurts. Let me tell you this. Do you think it hurts God any less when people reject him? And I think it's a larger scale than you and I, don't you? As I have loved you, greater love has no one than this than to lay down his life or one's friends. <laughs> Here's the coolest thing. You are my friends if you do what I command. You and I have a relationship when you love like I do. See, when you do this, everything else is easy. I mean, giving a contribution, coming to church on time, being a part of a small group. I mean, reading your Bible every day. I mean, that's, come on, guys, that's nothing. I mean, moving to you know, South America and being a that's nothing. Let me tell you what the hardest thing there is to Christianity. 
loving people who are hard to love. And I may be talking about you. And I know you would talk about some other people, wouldn't you? You got your list. Don't tell them, okay? Don't tell them. They know. I'm hard to deal with. You're my friends. Now, th- th- this, is, this is so blow away. I, I want you guys to understand, by Jesus saying, you're my friends, he's opening up something that had only been talked about in the Old Testament between one man and God. You know who that man was? Moses. Moses. Is it, Exodus 33.10 says that Moses had a special relationship with God. See, everybody else talked to God in other ways. Moses spoke face-to-face with God. Oh, my gosh, are you kidding me? You're offering me this, Jesus? You're, you're saying that you're going to be my friend and I get to be your friend? Yes. We sing a song occasionally, and I I want us to sing it some more, but I am a friend of God. You know that song? YouTube it. Listen to it. It's a celebration. I am a friend of God. I am a friend of God. He calls me friend. It's so awesome. It's so awesome. Not the song, but what it says. You and I need to dance around about that song, but see, the reason why you don't is because you think you have to make all these changes and earn your acceptance from God. Here's what I've found. When you accept somebody, they love a lot more than if you make them earn acceptance. See, God knows what he's doing. Who are we as a church to change things? All right, we need to wrap it up. I love this. Jesus goes on, and this this whole chapter, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to just have an association with you. I'm going to be in you. I'm going to be a part of you. I'm going to be in your life. No longer call you as servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you what? Go ahead, say it. Together. I called you friends. For everything that I've learned from my Father, I have made known to you. I mean, I get to know what God's plan is. Yeah. I get to know what he's up to. And and this is what I want to encourage you. Man, what we have here, guys, is so precious. We got four Gospels. So we know what Jesus is up to. We don't have to wonder, hey, I I wonder what Jesus would say. I wonder what he would do. It's right here. We know. We know how Jesus would treat us. And so today I hope that you can turn your love on its head and start understanding who Jesus is. Let's break it down. Jesus is? Jesus is? He's your friend. He's not against you. 
He's not mad at you. He's not trying to fix you. He loves you. He accepts you on the front end. And, and, and was Jesus against an immoral, unrighteous lifestyle? Absolutely. Do you know why Jesus is against that lifestyle? Because it hurts people. It may feel like fun for a minute. It may seem like fun. I mean, just yesterday, some girl got drunk and was driving at a celebration. It was homecoming. I was a part of a homecoming for so many years in my hometown in Gainesville. Homecoming was awesome. But see, when you get drunk and you lose control, it could kill people. It could kill children. See, that's why Jesus is against some of the things that we do. And if we understand Jesus and we have the heart of Jesus, we're going to say, you know what? I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to sleep around because I know what that's leading to. Fatherless children. Poverty. Economic crisis. An implosion of the society. I don't want to do that. I get it, Jesus. See, you're my friend. And because you're my friend, I'm going to be like you and I'm going to do what you want from now on. And you know what else? I'm going to love people. Loving people is messy. It's painful. But every time it's painful, guess what you can do? Go back to Jesus and say, man, he did this for me. Because you think you're that good? You think you're that easy to love? Let me tell you something. Take all the people who are difficult in your life Put them all together in one room. Doesn't even come close. Doesn't even come close to how you make Jesus feel. But he still loves you. Oh, you're offended by that. I can't believe you said that. You just don't understand the level. Jesus is here, guys. There's so much stuff that makes him mad or could make him mad about us. Yet he keeps on loving us. He could get frustrated with us. He could get fed up and say, I'm finished with you. He doesn't. He doesn't. So can't you do that? Can't you give a little grace in your relationships? So if you're sideways in your marriage today, I want to ask you to come down from your tree and repent. If you're sideways with your brothers and sisters and you say, well, I got a problem with the church. Listen, when I, when I was a baby Christian and Jesus loved me, I didn't have any problems with anybody. I didn't care what. And let me tell you, the church that I was baptized in, it was not awesome. There was stuff going on. It didn't matter. None of this stuff matters. And imagine a church full of Jesus' friends. Some of the, so much of the stuff that we worry about and have drama about, we just go, and we would be walking around going, Lord, here and now, here and now, whatever you want, I'm in. So let's pray for the communion. Heavenly Father, we, we want to confess that we have tried 
to gain your acceptance. Father, we confess that we've tried to behave in such a way that you'll get, you'll have our attention. And God, we want to apologize for doing it our way instead of your way. Father, I pray that today you will just put your arms around us once again. Help us to realize that you love us, God, before we change. You love us. You accept us. It's a hard concept for us, God. Even in church, it's hard because we've been programmed to think differently. God, help us to embrace Jesus as he is, not as how we want him to be or as our society thinks he is. Please forgive us, God. And most of all, we ask you to forgive us for not loving the way you love. So many of our relationships are in trouble right now because we haven't loved. And please forgive us, God, for hedging our commitment and minimizing our zeal and our love for you because we focus on the law and we don't focus on Jesus. Right now, God, in this communion, we focus on Jesus on the cross and we focus on his eyes. We focus on the blood pouring down his forehead. As he looked to us with love and says, you're my friend. Father, I pray that we will be your friend. Forgive us, help us right now. Fill us with your spirit. And I pray for our friends that are here as guests, God, that you'll please, please help them to see what Zacchaeus saw. That today, you want to come to our house. You want to come into our lives and help us to let you in. Thank you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. 